This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Manin Soyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. How's it going? It's going very well today. Uh, so today, for our listening pleasure, we have Mr. Kelly Hughes. Um, if I went through the list of Kelly's um, roles in the community, we would run out of time. So I like to think of him as the fish guy. That's my new thing for Kelly. He's our fish guy. He is um, working, has really made a um, a life ambition to create passage for our native fish species to ensure that we have one for the future. So. And I see a fish floating across our screen at the moment. <laughs> so, and he can tell us about that because that is his field of expertise. But Kelly is, he's so much more than that, but that is um, a real area that he's making huge inroads at the moment. And, and I'm super proud, actually, to know him and to see what he's doing. Kelly, when I... When I met you last year and interviewed you for Sustainable Lens, I think you described yourself as an accidental ecologist. Yeah, that still holds pretty much true. Um, accidental ecologist and ever more a, um, a protagonist and an advocate. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll share with something with you a little later if we have time, a little cartoon we've been working on that I'm sure you guys will both appreciate. You might even be able to have some input into it. Okay. So we'll get to that. Um, yeah, and uh, it's, it's, it's really filling a big void, uh, walking a path between ecology and engineering. So when I'm in a room with a bunch of engineers, I talk ecology, and when I'm in a, with a bunch of ecologists, I'm talking engineering, because where the issues are are actually that conflict between the two right across the landscape. So how did, so, your, how did your bubble go? Well, there's a lesson. Be careful what you wish for. I have been quoted, I think I wrote it down, that all I want for 2020 is to have about three to four months just staying in the same bed every night and catch up with stuff on the farm and my business because I run my business from home. Um, so it really has been business as usual. In fact, I was going to petition Jacinda to ask for an extension, please, because I hadn't <laughs> quite finished everything. Um, and... The other thing, so so I'm completely not bent out of shape. I don't need any therapy. Or if I didn't before, I probably did before, but I, I don't need any extra therapy. Um, and isn't it great or amusing at the same time how New Zealand now has like 5 million plus 
virologists, um, and psychologists, <laughs> and tech experts that we didn't have at the beginning of the year, uh, be it arms, armchair experts or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting hearing the dialogue. It's been difficult to relate to those. We've always, the byline for where I live is it's a good place to be poor. Um, and my heart goes out to, but I can't really imagine what it's like for someone who their business as usual life was in an apartment in somewhere in Auckland, you know, mm. um, because frankly, I wouldn't want to be there even if it wasn't locked down. So hello in that respect. Um, so I don't want to, um, so what that's sort of given us time to do, I think, um, is a couple of things. For some people, it's been an opportunity to reset the hard drive in terms of what they do. And I was as guilty as anybody, as even though I live rurally and I did more and more work backwards and forwards across the region and the country, I would nip into the supermarket and buy that thing on the way home and then probably do it again tomorrow and again the next day. Whereas if you're backed up 5, 10, 15 years, after the initial sort of bump of getting used to living rurally, we would avoid going to town, and it was a celebration if you didn't go to town for a week. Yeah, it was hooray. So that uh, to, to, to reclaim that sort of lifestyle, which is why me and others have chosen to live in rural lifestyle block type New Zealand, pretending to be farming but actually having to eke an income out of something else. Um, it's actually given us a chance to... You know, get up in the morning and stay on your property to fix that fence, to that that leaking trough, stuff that you drive by every day, but ever more so are less inclined to deal with. And it it's it, it really takes the shine off this rural living because it's a hell of a commitment for many people who do um, mortgage themselves to the hilt to get the biggest place that they can. And then both partners typically have to work and come home in the dark and the cows are out on the road and the water's not working and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly tough thing. So the lockdown was like a big thank you, a big gift to be able to live the dream just for a short period of time, if that makes sense. Let's go to your first song choice, which is Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime. <laughs>
yourself, what is that beautiful house? You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? I know it was only a year since I was there, but I can't remember exactly where you are. And the listeners don't know at all, so tell us where you are. Ah, okay. We live in a cosy little backwater (laughs) Um, uh, on a road that wends its way around the Ohiwa Harbour in the eastern Bay of Plenty. So if you look on a map and you take the the windy road from Ohopi Beach, which is just east of Whakatani, and about halfway along that road <coughs> towards Oportiki is sometimes on some maps a little spot called Cheddar Valley, and that's where we are. Um, it's kind of the shortest route to Oportiki, so we used to get a lot of traffic, but the state highway goes inland, and fortunately they're um, enforcing some rules about trucks taking that route. So even though there's more traffic on the road here, it's still nice because most of it's not trucks. Um, and we have a neat little microclimate here. So it's often raining here or nowhere else and vice versa. And we do, our claim to fame is we get about 90% of our rain at night. So um, that means there's no excuses for not getting out there and getting on with it during the day. And, what does, and love- what does an ecological engineer, even an accidental one, do there? Ah, well, this is my castle from which I go out on sorties, uh, saving the planet however I can. Uh, Basically, to to try and keep it succinct and make sense is I have always dabbled in sort of um, low-level kind of um, development of solutions to problems. I don't like to use the word inventing, but if if that works, use it. Um, And... I had, um, I've always had a sort of ecological environmental background and I was brought to my attention by a good friend and ex, now ex-neighbour who's an ecologist of all these issues around native fish passage through culverts and over weirs and dams and floodgates and all that sort of thing. And once I get, got my head around the, the issue, the real problem was that there weren't any tools in the toolbox to fix these things 
other than in say in the case of a culvert would be to rip it out and put in a much bigger one that was embedded into the stream at a cost of half a million dollars typically so to be able to come up with some quick fix solutions that might cost three hundred dollars um required a bit of thinking outside of the box and that's why we call it ecological engineering because it's about stuff that impacts or works with the environment and have you been been able to do that during lockdown yes in fact we've spread our wings a little further and are ramping up our manufacturing capability in the pacific northwest of the usa because all you got to do is pick up the phone go on or go online and find someone you know what you want and can you deliver and we're quite a way down that path we have been exporting but the cost of shipping was dearer than the cost of the product and it was becoming prohibitive in time and everything so it made sense um to look at manufacturing and the us or so when they're spending public money which is the space that i'm i'm in they are quite a bit more anal about made in the usa and so um that's going to help help that little process but yep yeah, we've continued with Obviously, I haven't been out in the field so much, but um, it's only a small percentage of the time, really, that we're out in the field getting wet and dirty. Uh, so it's been an opportunity to just tidy things up. So when we are out in the field, um, we can do stuff. And, uh, and, I, and I think this relates, but um, there's been funding applied for by um, local government in the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars to tap into that uh, COVID uh, kickstart money. And it's some of it they are applying for to earmark for exactly what we do, which is reconnecting with waterways through restoring fish passage. And I take it a step further and, and I like reconnecting the waterways at the broken bits, but reconnecting the fish with the waterways and reconnecting people with fish and reconnecting people with waterways. So it's a sort of a three-way thing. Um, and we are looking at doing some really significant work in that space to the point where people may have it as full-time jobs out there in a ute fixing stuff and i'll be in in the background supporting that process yeah that's fantastic news that's an interesting twist on it that reconnecting the people with the waterways as well as the fish well at the end of the day the fish haven't got any money and um so yeah you sort of it's the, they can't really be separated. But you're right, a lot of people don't think about that. They think of you as a, as a, as a fish hugger, when really it's, it's big picture stuff. It's sort of really restoring sort of the moldy to the water. And to do that, there have to be people in the picture. You know, it's undeniable. Um, and, of course, all the issues around water, whether it's at a sort of chemical and biological level, um, uh, is because of people. Uh, or whether it's structures and waterways are about where our infrastructure intersects with water. Um, and those are the hotspots that, that, that we're addressing. Um, to the tune of we've just, we're, we're partway through completing a survey of the Rangataiki River catchment and just the private land, the farmland, which makes up about 18% of that catchment. We are up to about 1,500 structures on the private property within that. So you multiply that out by the rest of the catchments in the Bay of Plenty and then the rest of New Zealand. And the Rangataiki is a pretty average 
one in terms of development. There's not a lot of urban, but there's quite a bit of farming and forestry and stuff going on. So it's a huge, huge program ahead of us. And in a lot of um, policies and, and regulations that are coming out in the water space from MFE and MPI and the likes, there are requirements for councils to uh, identify, monitor and remediate. And they just don't have the tools, the resources, the soldiers on the ground to do that. So part of this program will be actually upskilling people to be able to fit into that space. And actually, you nailed it before when you said about the Modi of the water. That there, how do you have, how do you restore the Modi of water that has been traumatised? If you think of all the events that have happened on the Rangataki River system over the last few years, it's just it's been such a difficult journey for that hour, eh? It really has. Absolutely. Um, it's fallen through the cracks with an opportunity when the dams were reconsented. Um, but it, it's a difficult one to answer because you don't know when you're finished. But something I could share with you that is um, quite unique and novel and a lot of people have witnessed is, is um, my work colleague Tim and I have witnessed what we call the heartbeat of a river or stream that uh, manifests itself in the ebbing and flowing or pulsing at an extremely small resolution, though it is relative to the size of the river. And we've been able to, to video that and, and show it sort of um, coming out of nowhere, if you like. And, we, and, we, and in our case, it was amplified by some baffles that we put in to look like this crazy washing machine. Then it would die away again and then come back again. And we had to put in extra baffles to try and counter that because from a human perspective, it looked a bit, oh, my God, we're making it worse. Well, I could argue a strong case that it was fine because fish are in this environment every day um, where, where water is pulsing. And we've been asking the question, where does, it, does that generate from? And until, oh, that gave me goosebumps, Kelly. You know, so yeah, so we'll um, yeah, oh, there's a PhD right there for somebody. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've sort of shared it a little bit before. I may have sort of even mentioned to you guys, but it is something that you know, until proven otherwise, it, it, it's the Maori of the water. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, yeah, so that's sort of where I'm at in that space at the moment, but. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko tahuahau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that this first day of freedom in level one, the long-awaited, the long-anticipated, the longed for, the hoped for freedom and safety and security and joy and bliss and excitement and happiness and independence and coexistence and hugging and celebrating and gathering and doing whatever we want, however we want, is finally here. And I hope that you've had the most wonderful first day of it. 
So I know for me, and I'm sure for you, and for all the beautiful people that I'm reconnecting with, this journey over the last several months has been such an awakening and an illumination of who we can be, how we want to be, what we want to keep and what we want to let go of in our daily lives. And for me, this first day in level one was just such a wonderful opportunity, of course, to hug and kiss and celebrate and reunite and reconnect with all the people and the places that I really love in this state of heightened appreciation and freedom. And it's been a wonderful and very exciting day. Another part of today which I really loved was reconnecting and reuniting with, of course, the internal emotional universes of my dear friends which often can be best communicated in person and hearing about all of the things from lockdown level three level two that they loved that they want to keep now and it's the same for me we were so lucky that we had this time to experience our lives in a more gentle and slow pace that was more supportive for aspects of ourselves that perhaps hadn't had that opportunity for a long time, if at all. And so we're wanting to keep some of that gentleness and slowness in parts of our lives as we move forward back into this new consensus reality we are creating together. So my dear friend, Kate Caldwell, who manages the native collection at Botanic Gardens, and I, as we strolled around through this cultivated paradise of Rako Māori, all the beautiful native plants, and we created celebratory videos for the gorgeous Kanuka and Mako Mako for our top 10 trees videos for Orokanui online today. We talked about what practices we want to keep and how we can support ourselves and each other to make sure we keep these supportive practices in our daily lives going forward. So for both her and I, what we find really useful is to keep a a system in place where we can monitor what we're doing and support ourselves to keep doing it. So for her, this is her diary and special colour-coded things in her diary for her yoga and her walks and her special academic work that she does for her landscape design. And for me, this is a very exciting glittery notebook and stickers and all sorts of things so I know that I'm keeping up with all my self-care that I enjoyed over lockdown and the different aspects of my life. And of course, we have emerged from our bubbles on a collective scale as a nation. But globally, we have not emerged from our bubble. Our borders are still closed. So for me, having my beloved mother overseas and beloved friends overseas who are experiencing quite a different reality, I think that it's such an opportunity for us as a nation now, whilst we're still enclosed, to practice the same process. What do we as a nation want to do now while we're still enclosed to make sure that we're caring for ourselves and each other as we have done so well as a dream team of 5 million going forward? And how can we frame these nurturing and these supportive practices going forward for each and every one of us? 
so that when the time comes and we make that leap of opening our borders, we are still keeping those supportive practices for ourselves and each other as a nation as we start to interact globally again. So a really fascinating time for us all. And I hope that for all of you, you've really loved this day. And for all of you, you're finding new ways to make your personal reality even better. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. Something else I've been contemplating that you guys might have as well is is the lockdown is all about people having to change their habits and we all i think they we use terms like being in the hamster wheel and stuff like that and i talked about rebooting the hard drive but what does that mean what does that look like and i think what we for me it's kind of taking a moment to acknowledge the human psyche and the human animal for want of a better term where it's relatively recent history that Mum and dad have got up in the morning and gone to work, you know, and I don't think it's happened. It's about 150 years. In fact, I can tell you it was 1851 that the UK flipped from having more than 50% of the population living rurally to living urban. Okay. So it's quite near the surface when you consider the 50,000 years prior to that, we were sitting around a campfire by and large, you know, hunter gathering, maybe following the herds, Certainly not getting up in the morning and going to work and coming home again at five o'clock. So the concept of not doing that wouldn't have mattered, (laughs) you know, because so it's a bit in some ways precious. It's a bit um, uh, superficial, this alarmist thing of us not being able to do that because I'm not really thinking that it's what we were engineered to do anyway. It's only come about through expectations from one generation to the next when it's even been an option. So a lot of people would have documented or or, um, verbalised this thing about families being together more, extended families being together more, communicating more, and I think that's manifested itself in our family. For example, the whole of lockdown, we had a proper cooked meal at the table every night. Now... I'm quite proud of that, even though we didn't really set out to do it, but because you had all day and it just seemed the logical way to do it like we used to. Whereas I remember living in the UK with relatively small houses, the kitchen table was cleared on Christmas Day, and if you're lucky, you know. And so it just shows how we've evolved, or some would argue devolved, to a different way of life that it wasn't until this lockdown came about that we're even able to look inwardly or look in the mirror and say, is this really, really what we want to be doing here? You know, not everybody has the luxury of being able to jump off, but those who can, I think, are grasping it with both hands. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hi there everybody, hope you're doing well out there in bubble land. It's Liesl here saying hey from my little bubble, Uh, extending the love out to your little bubbles out there. Um, Hope you're all doing really, really good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm having a very productive 
life space at the moment where I'm getting lots of things done and feeling good about that. Don't you love it when you get things done? Like I just I just love that feeling of like ah, setting up my day with a little bit of a sort of uh, goal plan, goal plan, um, two or three things that I know I really want to get off my plate and then doing it. You know, that's the key, isn't it? Doing it. We all have the best of intentions, but do we carry them out? And how hard is it to carry them out? Oh, gosh. You know, I think discipline, it's one of those things that it doesn't just get gifted to you. Although I know some people are particularly gifted in the art of self-discipline, but um, most of us, we have to work at it and uh, work hard at it. Gosh, I feel like most of my adult life to date has been... Ah, failures and discipline. <laughs> no, actually, we won't say failures. I'd say um, a constant sort of trying to be self-disciplined and um, sometimes trying harder than at other times and sometimes probably arguably not trying at all. But for the best part of the last 10 years, I'd say I've been trying quite hard to be self-disciplined and it's definitely not my natural state at all. Uh, I think when I came into this world, I, I was a, a human being that just wanted to be free, just wanted to be free, to do as I please, to do as I will, um, to do it at my own pace, to do it in my own time. I know I really struggle to keep to time. It's just not my thing, and um, and that's not a very helpful thing for most of the other parts of my life. And I may have said this in other sp- other conversations. I, I I do I do struggle with the time thing, but that is also part of this whole self-disciplined thing. So part of that is acknowledging: well, if I struggle with time, then what can I do? to change how I relate to time and if I know that I struggle to be on time what are the things that I um, actually put in my way to stop me from being on time but also what are the things I can do that maybe allow for some of those known factors like maybe that I just don't organize myself fast enough so if I think I need 15 minutes I probably really really realistically realistically need more like half an hour so be realistic with yourself about these things this is something I'm learning be realistic about your expectations for yourself but also what are the things you need to put those expectations in place and I think that's what I've been learning about self-discipline is that if I have goals that I want to achieve It's easy to throw them all into one day and you're like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to do it all today. And I guess when I signed up at the gym, actually, um, about a year ago now, and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to the gym. So big step, signing up. There we go. First tick in the big box of self-discipline. But then, of course, the bigger test is to follow, which is will you actually go to the gym, Liesl? Will you actually turn up? And I decided that the way to get me to get excited about this was not to say, right, three times a week, you've got to be at that gym, which was my goal. I just said to myself, right, you've just got to go to the gym once a week. That's all. So I just went once a week because that was quite doable. And then after a few weeks of that started to feel quite good, I said, right, you just have to go twice a week. Like, that's not that hard, is it? 
And I just gradually built myself up to that three times a week. And I think that was the key because I gave myself little bite-sized pieces, little goals that I could do. Going once a week, well, that wasn't that hard, was it? I just had to go once, once a week. Whereas if I'd set myself up for three times a week, straight away, a new habit was trying to be formed, it wasn't my normal routine, I was probably just going to fail at that. And I would have never gone to the gym at all because I'd have been like, well, I just can't do it. Um, But instead, setting myself up for that little win helped me get to the end goal of those three times a week, which, um, yeah, I felt really good about. And I think that's what self-discipline is kind of about, little bites, one step at a time. Okay, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and we'll chat soon. Of all of the things you've seen change over the last couple of months or so, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Yeah, I think... I I hope that people will be more um, effective with their time. You know, um, I hope that people will appreciate that home is a good place to be. That's why we work and stuff. So getting home is a great thing. It's not like, and I don't mean to bang on about sort of urban Auckland life, but I don't know if you're aware. In Auckland, driving around in Auckland on the weekend. The tra- there isn't kind of a traffic, a rush hour in the morning and night. It's rush hour all bloody day because people are out shopping, you know? like re- And that's because their home isn't a groovy place to be because it's either small or just doesn't need any maintenance or interconnection. So the ability of people to really treat their home as an S, an available place to be and to invite people into and to be warm with and be happy about, not something that you suffer and just want to escape whenever you get the chance. Yeah, I'd like to think that, and and that can manifest itself in things like shopping once a week as opposed to every day. Those sort of things I've already touched on, but it's it's the pace of life, the the hamster wheelie thing, just just putting the handbrake on. I think yeah, I think it's it'll be interesting to watch how long it takes for people to end up back exactly where they were. I'm sure there's plenty of um, sort of psychologists and that out there studying that very thing. It didn't take very long at all, I think. No. <laughs> in, lo- in lockdown four, there was quite a strong sense of, this isn't bad. I mean, yeah. Acknowledging that some people were really hurting and there's, there's lots of vulnerabilities in the community and so on. But as a whole, that time of Rahui, that time of being with family and not moving around so much, I think there was a strong sense of, actually quite like this. Hmm. Hmm. But then as we've progressively yeah. been, been, the restrictions have been relaxed, we do seem to have started rushing around again. Yes, I, I do a lot of work, as I also mentioned earlier, with local government staff personnel, and they were very quick and encouraged to work from home. And I have seen a real commitment for that to continue to some degree, and they are quite open about how, hey, this works, I am actually a bit more productive, liking my job better. So, and the, the interesting thing with that is in the in the Whakatane head office of the Bay Regional Council, they're in the middle of this, how long it's going to take, I have shudder to think, and how much it's cost us ratepayers a refurbishing and restructuring of the council building, which is basically all about converting it to open plan offices. 
And open plan offices is kind of the opposite of working from home in terms of your special space and the quiet or the volume, the atmosphere, the energy of the room. You have no say in that really. And you're, so, I, so the question out there for a lot of them is halfway through this process, is the council going to back off or blindly march on with that same philosophy of putting everybody in chicken coops um, where they're all just like, I don't know if you've ever, I'm the worst person to go into an open plan office at the council. It's a nightmare because I've gone in there to see Billy Bob and we want to talk about that. And next minute someone sees me and it's, oh, Kelly, da, 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 and I see someone else and it's just this bloody talk fest of everyone rabbiting on. And then the other people who are not part of that are in the corner all going rah, 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 and putting the headphones on and getting pissed <laughs> off with it. Um, so that... That and then throw into the mix the whole virus thing. Well, hello, you know, which it's it's a low hanging fruit. Um, and a little thing I can quickly share in that space is one of the people who shall remain nameless in the um, council actually took them to the employment court. I think um, with concerns of his own mental health and well being, if forced to be in an environment that was open plan, because when he signed the contract, he was given an office. And they basically were taking that off them. And not only did he win, when I've spoken with other knowledgeable people in that space, they were saying everybody would win. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not going to have my, my open plan office if I take this curtain down to my workshop. So um, it's, uh, I, I can't really pretend that, it, that it's my problem. But it's give you a, uh, it keeps coming back to the human animals and how we interact, doesn't it? You know, and, and what has it highlighted? Um, it's also sort of made politics a little bit more interesting and suddenly, boom, there we've got what's going on in the USA as perhaps perhaps the uh, complete opposite of where we want to end up. Thank you, USA, for giving us an example of what we don't want. You know, people are perhaps looking at that through different spectacles than we would have otherwise had we not sort of been coming out of lockdown. Um, but I think I'm, I'm pretty positive, but I'm also heads up that I won't be travelling a lot in the near future overseas. So what, New Zealand's a good place to be poor. Then more time to ride my horse. It's, uh, I don't need any more work. It, my, my international work's always been a, really about advocacy and removing excuses. So it's just a shame that we, we can't do that um, as effectively without being there face to face. But it will still happen. Um, while I think about, I'll show you this thing, which lockdown gives you a, a, a clear head, so you can become all cynical. How do you share screens in this outfit? Anybody know? Okay, that one, and you should both be able to tell me when you can see it. Oh, that's okay. cool. Okay, so you sort of get the theme, um, and I wasn't trying to be cynical and some people took it personally and i thought good on you that's exactly if, if, uh, i mean who said it the best is what if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem was that malcolm x or martin luther king um said something like that and um so we're, we're on radio of course so you'll have to describe it to us oh yes on radio what you've got here is um a, a graphic of, of a dam um and a poor fish to get up it because this is all about fish remember um, and 
because I work at the at the sort of political advocacy level right down through to gumboots on tools and hand level, I get to see all the roadblocks that are in the way. And it's become apparent not just in New Zealand but internationally, and it's not just about fish in that space, where all of these other intangibles get in the way of doing the right thing. Okay. And we started it wasn't just me, we a few of us were sort of having a laugh. Uh virtual beer if you like talking about these things and one thing would lead to another and suddenly we've got what 20 odd things ranging from bureaucracy corruption miscommunication ignorance false news bad science hidden agendas supercilious mumbo jumbo profit history inertia indifference politics denial paranoia egos dogma and incontrovertible uh, along with and our american colleagues they added some of these other things which we thought were kind of cute little characters that add to the mix in terms of um, making it hard to get progress with restoring fish passage. And they threw in a, a, a naysaying nut wonk, uh, a nethering needle nose gnat, a myopic marsh mouse, an ivory tower stalk, and an overanalyzing toad. Um, all of these things doing their bit to just make what should be very simple very difficult. Yeah, I'm going to draw a long bow here and draw the bow between the kindness ethos that we've seen over the last uh, few months and your approach to to fish. It's about providing a, a kind environment for the fish, a connected environment that they want to live in. Yeah, I think um, because it's been death by a thousand million cuts and 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 you know other than humans not many animals have a voice um being kind in that space of being having time to reflect to contemplate the plight of others maybe that was the message of of the the kindness side of thing so um it's and just doing the right thing perhaps that's the commonality you know and and why wouldn't you mm. no i think um it's it's been completely not surprising though somewhat disappointing the mouthpieces within government the career politicians that can't help themselves but just blah blah the, something they've seen overseas that we should be or should not be doing and you know i think uh, the public are a little bit smarter than that and don't seem to have leapt on that particular bandwagon and marching in the streets so much i think they've it's been surprisingly uh, calm in the sense that New Zealanders feel that we're doing the right thing, and if we didn't, well, we had a crack. You know, it, it wasn't all about a political soapbox of either saving or destroying the economy, and how many millions would be dead, and all that sort of thing. It was just uh, pretty simple. What we did, and there's no excuse for not being kind. I don't think you have to have a lockdown to be kind to one another. That might be an interesting um, sort of view in a year or so's time have a poll do you think we are still being kind yeah. that's a very yeah. good idea actually you know were you kind before did you need the virus to make you be kind yeah. but why did it so, need a virus to make you be kind yeah well that's what i'm saying i think it, it was a bit of a kind of a um i don't kindness isn't a standalone emotion so people can be being kind while being other things or not being other things. So the, what, what the, um, the virus did and, and, and it 
being pitched as being a thing to do, it really meant that the other things were falling back. It wasn't that it didn't exist prior to it. It just um, didn't have its, it wasn't at the top of the hill always. You know, it was about how the kids were doing in school or something like that. Um, you know, climbing the corporate ladders and all of that was going on um, and kindness was not um, up front and central as it has been for a while. Mm. I, I do think it would have been really good if um, the government, if, if in those um, broadcasts, rather than just saying, be kind, be kind, would have been helpful to say what kind looked like, you know, um, because some people may have no idea or some people might be overawed or think that they already are bloody kind, thank you very much. Um, so in the context of lockdown, what kindness could look like. Yeah. Do you think that the emphasis on look after other people, like I've been listening to everybody's view of this over the last few weeks, it's been amazing, and this theme keeps on coming up of um, when we went into lockdown, we went in there thinking about isolating ourselves to keep everyone else safe. Yeah. Do you reckon that's a good, is that a good model for kindness? Is that, do you think that's how most people would feel that they showed their kindness? Um, I think it's part of the mix and it sort of works the other way. You know, um, by us not getting sick means we're not making someone else sick. But I, I, I see it was a fairly low level kindness. It didn't require buying anything or doing much that you wouldn't have already done. And I see kindness in a kind of neat way out here rurally. Um, with a, we're in a situation, there must be other like this in, in, in New Zealand where you've got quite a large number of lifestyle blocks. And it's quite interesting because, yeah, it is, because it was sort of, it was really cool where going back when we were here 20 years ago, there was, it was a, all the, what do you call it, um, neighbourhood watch was the big thing. And we were, the Lions Club were helping promote Neighbourhood Watch and you're supposed to have phone trees and all of that and meetings every so often so people didn't feel bad about calling your neighbours at two o'clock in the morning if there was a strange vehicle or something. And the poor people that were commissioned to sell it through the police or something kind of relied on the paranoia around crime and criminal activity. And at about the same time, the internet and everything started kicking off an email and we just threw all of that out the window in terms of the the prescribed system of neighbourhood watch to become neighbourhood support, which is what they call it now anyway. But we have an internet thing, and it's full of every five minutes someone's lost a dog or the cows on the road, and does anybody want to buy a barbecue? And that's what kindness can look like, just communicating and sharing needs and wants. You know, as opposed to, oh, my God, there's a tsunami which may or may not ever happen. And and who's going to you know, run next door and check if the Browns are OK? Well, all of that's going to happen anyway. We don't, you know, if you've got this other layer of interaction as a community, you don't need to be held by the hand by some organisation set up in town to tell you how to communicate and support each other. You know, so it, it actually it actually started off about paranoia and crime support, drifted towards civil defence, ended up being, you know, buying and selling firewood. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, community. Yeah. So maybe that's something that could or would have should have come out of, of the lockdown, these bubbles. Maybe look at we never really got to the point where we had that bubble that could be called community. We sort of went from extended family to the whole of New Zealand pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Because um, it can work and it can be you know, rewarding and satisfying and give people a sense of belonging and that kind of thing. Level two could have given us that, couldn't it? But we just weren't we weren't in it long enough. Mm. I thought level three was just a much better place to be in terms of understanding and running your life, whereas level two has been kind of a denial level. Mm. Is it or isn't it, you know? Um, yeah, and uh, of course... Something of you know, and the press, the way they deal with both our news and international slants on what's going on. I go to um, Fox News every day just to see my God, you know, just to see how they see themselves. <laughs> it's like here, but little take. I I go and I do it for a reason. They have on their coronavirus stats how many have been infected and how many have died today, or whatever the total. Not today, or oh, for, for, for the running total of deaths in the USA, and um, they're about three days behind at any given moment. If you go to other websites, it'll say 108,000. You go to um, Fox News, it's 103. You know, and it was they were even longer doing the flip over to 100,000, which was sort of a <laughs> significant milestone. So they're just sort of holding back on it and managing stage managing even the data on people dying. You know. So let's not go there. I have yeah. some questions to end with, and we don't have right. much time, so we'll have to be quick. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, there's lots of that are, on e that are equal, but let's say uh, developing understanding how the process of and thereby being able to develop uh, the world's best and only flexible baffle. Yay. What's your superpower? Oh, I usually don't like this one. It was something like to know what people are actually thinking. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be an actor? It, it used to be walk through walls, but... I couldn't quite, yeah. It starts bordering on voyeurism and shit like that. So I'll, um, <laughs> so I'll stick. I'll stick with reading people's minds. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, the desire to put my feet on the ground and catch a horse and ride it while the sun's coming up. And every day a little bit better. What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next couple of years? Uh, building my new house, my own house. You've got a house. It's the house. Um, I've got a property that joins this one with a house site begging a house. So, yeah, exploring all of the environmental options there with off-grid, on-grid, wood floor, concrete floor, accommodation for Airbnb or whatever. Yeah, never mind the design. The design could be a box, but it's really the, the, the life and blood within it that, that is the challenging part. 
And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Be kind to your mother. Uh, uh, yeah, don't. The thing that frustrates me the most is don't vote for the party that your parents voted for just because they did. Actually, understand who and what that personal party stands for. And look at and understand the consequences and the value of your vote, and you need only look to the USA. Yeah, thank That's you. Mawera, yeah. some closing thoughts. Um, closing thoughts: Our native fish species are in trouble, and the only way that we can save them is by having clean waterways and and water that moves. And people like Kelly are out there keeping the water moving, so find um, any perch culverts and, and other things that are preventing the fish from moving and call for help. Good idea. Thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and all the places where you might find podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and Kelly Hughes in Cheddar Valley, which is between Fakatani and Apotiki in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.